Greetings from Hashtag Generation. Uh, we are glad to be back with you once again with another podcast series. Uh, today we are here to talk to you about a very trending topic and also yet a complicated topic. Uh, we are here today with um, Umesh Muramudali, who doesn't need much introduction. As most of you know, who Umesh is, uh, one of our renowned economists in Sri Lanka. Uh, so we are glad to have you, Umesh, once again. Um, thank you for making time for us. So today we are here to discuss a very current or rather trending topic. Uh, it's to do with economics, economic reforms, and also the role of IMF and the most current updates about this whole economic reforms. So as most of you know that uh, when it comes to this whole subject of economics, we just stay away thinking that this only belongs to economists and not us. But, uh, but we cannot detach ourselves from economics because economics also is very intertwined with our day-to-day -day life. Uh, so therefore, we thought we'll unpack some of the um, broad, some of the very uh, difficult uh, things that we find it hard to relate to or rather understand. We thought we will uh, unpack it in a very simple way so that all of us also can understand what's going on, what this whole reform is about and what is the role of IMF, are we on the right track with everything that's going on. So we will further speak to Umesh and Umesh will clarify some of our questions today. So Umesh, uh, just wanted to ask you like the very basic question, what is an economic reform and what is the current status of the economic reform in Sri Lanka? Um, I think to answer this question, I have to I have to go back to, I will pick something what you mentioned, that uh, uh, you said that the people think that economics is only belongs to economists uh, and uh, it's a technical matter somewhat. I, I hear this very often, but the fact of the matter is it is actually about people. It's, it's, part, it's, it's an inherent, inherent part of any democracy, which we are also a democratic country. Uh, so economies, the way the economy is handled, where the particularly the public finance is handled, because public finance means it's for the people, but how it is handled is is part of the democracy, right? which which most people think it is not, but it really is. So uh, then goes back to the economic reforms, right? So then what do we actually mean by economic reform? This against means how the government handles an economy. Right? The, the, there are different ways to look at how government would intervene or government would, government would get involved in an economy, how, to, how would regulate an economy. So, so shifting from one way to another is, is generally what we refer to an economic reform. Right? Or basically, or, or else how you'd want to tax. Who do you want to tax? Uh, do you want to curtail some imports? Right? And then answer maybe some broader questions like, should the government do businesses? Uh, so shifting from one way of doing that to another is what economic reform is, for example. Uh, taking decisions to increase the tax revenue substantially is an economic reform. Right? So you can see that these reforms are carried out uh, largely by the legislature, right? which in, in our case it's a parliament. Thereby, it is also part of the, what we call the democratic process. Right? So, so how it is important now, more than ever in the case of Sri Lanka, is that Sri Lanka defaulted uh, on its debt, on its foreign debt, 
in uh, April 2022. Now, since then, we are not repaying foreign debt repayments to most of our creditors except for the multilaterals, which means for the IMF, World Bank, and ADB. For them, we are paying them. For every other creditors, every other foreign creditor, we are not paying them. That means uh, we have borrowed from international banks, we have borrowed from China, India, uh, and different other countries. We are not repaying them anything right now. That doesn't mean we can do that forever, but we have halted doing that, saying that we don't have money. Therefore, let's restructure then Let's negotiate how to reschedule, restructure, you know, come to a different agreement so that our debt burden is less in the present and future terms and can assuming that we could negotiate something with those who have given us loans. Right? So that's, we defaulted and we are right. Now we are in the phase of negotiating how that debt, debt will be restructured. That, by the way, is not yet finalized. Where IMF comes in is Sri Lanka defaulted on its foreign debt because Sri Lanka did not have money, particularly foreign currency. In other words, US dollars, you know, dollars to repay loans, continually repay loans. And we also could not borrow money from anywhere else, so nobody is willing to lend us money because okay, this country doesn't have money. So who, who actually wants to lend you money? Right? So one, you needed money. Second, you needed to restructure your debt because you can't pay the debt. That is quite difficult to do on your own after you mismanage your public finances. You have reduced your tax revenue, you have terribly managed your public finance. Obviously, you have technically become bankrupt. And nobody is going to believe you that, hey, I will somehow pay your debt, let me please restructure. Nobody is going to believe that. So that's where you need an international organization like IMF to come in and you know basically enter into a program and where IMF imposed certain targets so that Sri Lanka as a country will move towards the direction of making economy making country's economy better making you know developing an ability to repay loans increase the government revenue and doing many other things we can talk about um, so, where IMF comes into the picture is um, when you defaulted on your loans, you defaulted on the loans simply because you don't have money. I mean, it's more than that, but largely because you don't have uh, foreign currency to repay your loans. And also, uh, your economy is in a really bad shape. You cannot get out of this by yourself. Right? So, number one, you need money. Your, nobody is lending you money because you are bankrupt as a country and uh, that requires some support. Number one, in terms of foreign currency, IMF would lend to Sri Lanka in foreign currency and uh, when IMF lends, we saw that other multilateral agencies like World Bank and ADB, they also provided loans because when Sri Lanka entered into an IMF program, other lenders, you know, World Bank, uh, ADB, and including other international lenders, they would know that, all right, now this country is moving towards some sort of an economic recovery. They are doing some economic reforms in order to get better. It's like a patient taking medicine upon doctor's prescription. Uh, now IMF is like the doctor. They come and tell you, look here, you are on one of our programs now. 
We are giving you money in tranches, in installments. For you to get the next installment, you have to do these, these things. It's like doctor telling you, look here, you need to take this bitter medicine. It's tough. But if you are not going to take this medicine, you are not going to get better. It's your job to take this medicine. So that's an obligation for Sri Lanka uh, towards IMF. Because there's an obligation, people are willing to, somewhat, not rather people, actually the organizations, have some sort of an assurance that all right, this country will honor their obligations. They will fix their public finance issues. That also helps the debt restructuring process because at the end of the day, creditors want to get paid. I mean, I give a loan to you and you say like, look here, Umesh, I can't, I can't pay you right now, but I'll pay you in next year. So I need some sort of an assurance, right? Let's say somebody comes and like, here, I'm looking at this person, I'm looking at... Uh, uh, Rebecca and I'm, I'm, I'm managing her, I'm helping her manage her expenses, I'm not allowing her to spend lavishly. Uh, if that person gives me assurance, I'm like, all right, okay, if you're giving assurance, I'll give her another year and we can negotiate that. But you yourself coming and telling me that, why would I believe you? So that's that problem. So IMF comes and helps with that in the sense it gives that assurance to the creditor, all right, it is okay to negotiate that. This by no means means that IMF fix everything under the sun, every, every problem in Sri Lanka. But it was important and it was essential at that point to go for an IMF program. Right? So still we are in the debt re, uh, restructuring negotiation process, still that hasn't been finalized. Right? So that means still we are not repaying the uh, lot of foreign loans that has been halted. Uh, that means arrays are accumulating. So once you, when you want to restructure, you will, you will restructure with all these accumulated arrays as well. Uh, but right now we are in the process of finalizing how different creditors are willing to restructure our debt. Some pe we would uh, tell some people, look here, can you reduce the amount of debt? For example, if, you, if we had borrowed 1000 million, we'd say we cannot pay you 1000 million, please reduce this to 800. That's in, in technical terms called principal help. Then for some people we would say, look here, we got loans at 6% interest, we can't pay 6%, reduce this to 4%. Some people would agree, all right, we will give you interest rate reduction. Some people will say, okay, we give maturity extension. If you had already agreed to pay this loan in 10 years, we will extend this to 20. You can pay this across 20. So your debt burden is reduced. So, so different creditors obviously does this differently. Right, so they do because different creditors do doing this differently. It takes time to finalize negotiations, which, as I mentioned, hasn't finalized yet. Anticipation is that it will finalize somehow within this year. Right. So IMF, what right now happening is, uh, Sri Lanka has been given certain targets, the quantitative performance criteria. There's policy criteria. Different different uh, targets were given to Sri Lanka. For example, increasing the tax revenue. Reducing the budget deficit, they have given certain numbers and they have also given certain criteria such as passing certain legislations. We saw a uh, new central bank act came. Uh, that's because uh, IMF, one of the IMF conditions is that uh, central bank should be independent. So we see some changes are happening. Sri Lanka is now accountable to do those changes and IMF was in a mission in September to see whether Sri Lanka has met what it has promised that Sri Lanka would deliver by September. Right, so now uh, they have released, uh, they have looked at the economy and released some uh, 
press release and concerns as well. But this is where we are right now. The second tranche of money has not yet been released. IMF staff had come here and assessed the situation. Okay, where is Sri Lanka exactly? And then they will submit their report to the IMF executive board. They will decide whether this progress is sufficient. If not sufficient, they will give the next installment of money. So this process will go for the next remaining reviews of the IMF. Upon that review, we will receive the remaining amount of IMF money in installments. So that's where we are right now. Okay. So, yeah, that was a good very broad uh, explanation. Uh, so the next question leading from there, Amish, like you said, because we also got into this problem because of mismanagement of funds, yeah. so public finance. So can you tell a little bit more about that? Even now, like you said now, because IMF has intervened, there is some sort of accountability. So therefore, but do you really think that having IMF on board that will uh, reduce this problem or is there any sort of accountability because IMF is on board now or will this, if this continues, public finances being uh, misused, mismanaged, this can be burdened again on people, right? Like you said, because of the repayment, it's one of the basis increasing of tax, so which is again, it's a burden on the people. Mm -hmm. so, so whether this, it seems like vicious cycle, but do you think that with IMF coming in, would there be some sort of a, uh, um, what do you say, some sort of a revenue for this, or will, will there be some sort of uh, a way out for us? Well, I mean, let me put it, put it like this. What IMF does is, just like I mentioned before, it's like a doctor. In a short term, we have been terrible in public finance management. We have had the consequences of it. It's like you eating too much sugar and oil or got a heart attack, you go to the doctor, doctor does a bypass and tell you what to eat, what not to eat, gives you medicine, so on and so forth. But making sure you're not getting a second heart attack, it's on you. Right? You talked about the accountability, you talked about public finance management. Uh, this is internal. These changes also are internal. So economic issues largely were due to the domestic policies, politics, what the public finance management uh, decisions were, which were taken by the parliament. Right? So how to spend the government money, how to raise government revenue, how to increase government revenue, all those were problems that were internal. We failed to raise enough revenue. Sri Lanka's tax-to-GDP ratio was around 20% in 1990. This came down from like here to here, like around 10% in 2015. In 2021, after Gotabe Rajapaksha reduced taxes, this came to around 8%. You can see significant reduction of government revenue. So, why the tax revenue was reduced? Because the government wasn't doing enough to increase the government revenue. It's again whose decision? Parliament. The representatives that we have elected, they haven't enacted laws that will increase the revenue. And there was such a law came in 2017, Indian Revenue Act, that proposed to increase the government revenue through different ways. Right? What happened to that? Gotabe Rajapaksha promised that he will reduce taxes right, left and centre. He promised and he of course delivered because he had a mandate to do so. 
Now, there you see the problem where, where the lot of these issues actually went wrong. And it's eventually poor public finance management. The problems are internal. So your question is, will IMF fix this? No. IMF would help to fix this in the short term to keep us on track for the short term. And we will do this because we are not getting the next installment. We are scared because we need it right now. It's like, you know, like you're just in the after one month of your surgery, you will do everything that the doctor says. After about one month, you get better. You're like, oh, okay, now I can probably eat a little bit more. I can probably have a drink, you know. Then after about uh, three, four months, you completely forgot that you had a big health problem. You're like, oh, okay, you can go back and party. Right? If Sri Lanka also start go back and party and spend lavishly and forget taxing people, all that, we can again go back to this consequence. So the accountability has to be internal. We have to have mechanisms where the government public finance is one, accountable to the people, two, that it goes where it requires, where it reduces the risk of we are leading to a sovereign default again. Okay, yeah, so, so it's very clear that there is a mandate for the parliament also to be accountable and to uh, mis also using of the public finance. Yeah, so I mean, uh, the public finance is parliament's job. Job. The constitution very clearly defines that public finance is handled by the parliament. Yeah. Right? So we appoint people, it's their job to ensure that it is done correct. Yeah, so what, what more do you think? What is the role of actually parliament in carrying out economic reforms? Well, I mean, we see many of the legislations coming out. We see Inland Revenue Act amendments uh, uh, came, which got the parliament support because simply because there is uh, there's two-third majority for the government. Now, I don't see that as a very healthy way of uh, you know, making public finance management better. Because you could have a government, because this, mind you, this, this government had a mandate politically uh, to reduce taxes. They had a two-third majority in the parliament. Up to now, most of these economic reforms are carried out because whatever Ranil proposed, uh, most of the SLPP members will say yes for their short-term political benefits. Now, you could have another parliament again where there is like, significant majority would believe in different different things significant majority who, who believes in uh, what we call harmful economic policies also so we have to have mechanisms to ensure that number one people's long-term interest or like people's uh, long-term living standards so long-term survival is ensured Right, that has that that has a direct link with the economic policy through democracy, of course. And then accountability within the legislature. For example, if tomorrow there would be some uh, legislation again to reduce taxes or to do something, it is some bad economic policy that could also get the parliament support thereby becoming a law because still parliament 
still uh, SLPP has majority in the parliament. It's not SLPP, but what I'm saying is any, 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 any party. So how do we assess this? How do we prevent such harmful policy changes? That's where the accountability and transparency comes in. Within the parliament also, you have committees like Committee of Public Finance, Committee of Public Accounts, Committee of Public Enterprises, often known as COP. How much powers they have? Can they prevent things that are very harmful for the economy? So, so have a much more strong checks and balances within the legislature as well. Not allowing the government to pass whatever the law that they want. Because you elect people, they have mandate for five years unless parliament is dissolved. So does that mean they should say yes to all the legislation that are harmful to the economy? No. There should be ways to prevent it. So that's one way to look at it. The other way is parliamentarians having enough economic literacy and also be actually concerning about people. You see, the same people who, ra ra who raise their hands and said yes for the quota-based tax changes also comes back and say yes to the tax revisions introduced by Ranil. It's very contradicting. What actually are believing? What what? Some, I think these are these are also the things that that needs to be fixed. And these are this also where the public comes in, public pushing because at the end of the day, this democracy. Uh, a politician comes and says, "I will reduce your taxes significantly." Reality is that I can assure you, as an economist, you cannot reduce if you are a middle class. You Sri Lankan government for the foreseeable future cannot reduce your taxes. It's a very difficult thing to hear. If they reduce taxes, they are doing at a high risk of running this country to a potential sovereign default again. Right? So you also need to think, okay, they are telling me they will reduce my taxes this time. What my consequences would be in another couple of years? Because most people were very happy about 2019 tax changes when Gotabe promised it and when he implemented it. They happily cheered for it. At that point also economists warned about it, but at that point nobody, you know, concerned. Why should you be concerned? Now at least you have a reference point to say, okay, there were tax changes without not only taxes, different policy changes that led to a default for the first time. Now there's a reference point at least to think before you cheer for certain harmful economy. So I think it also comes with the people and be aware and question your politicians, say, you're giving me this now, I might get a much more, a very adverse outcome later. It's like, you know, like, you could have a situation where somebody is like, oh, I, I'm treating you for a, luxurious, lavish meal today. You don't know what coming down the road saying like, oh, okay, you will have to pay the bill. Kind of a thing. Right? So, so I think that's also important uh, in a democracy. People, people, one people having economic literacy, politicians having economic literacy and having that back and forth argument saying, uh, ensure the long-term interests of the people. Okay, so now we also know, like, uh, we saw IMF's first tranche coming in, and then we had a review in September. So as you said, we haven't still paid the foreign debts, like, 
we haven't uh, we have stopped, stopped paying, yeah uh, we have a, we have stopped day. paying but we have to have some water plan so now we saw the review happening in september mm. so what is um, what were the recommendations and what are the way forwards because we know like the second trench hasn't still come and there are certain discussions going on around it so what are the uh, conditions that have been laid to in order to get the second trench uh, well, I think there were certain criteria. We can't do anything right now because the review is done. Uh, what generally matters is they see whether Sri Lanka is moving toward, towards correct directions. We haven't met some targets, particularly in terms of tax revenue and some other targets. Uh, generally, what happens is even though if specific target is not met, if IMF sees that Sri Lanka is moving towards that direction, because you could miss targets due to different reasons, but if you are not way off and you tried your best and uh, for different reasons you couldn't, then there will be the right, you are moving towards the right direction. It's like, you know, doctor may expect you a speed recovery, but you may not recover as quickly as uh, expected, but if, you're, if your trajectory is good, then uh, more likely uh, you will, you can go to the next next stage. Similarly, uh, uh, IMF will also uh, consider that Sri Lanka is doing what's needed to be done. Uh, the, then the larger question, actually, what IMF's concerns were: uh, Is Sri Lanka doing enough regarding uh, increasing the tax revenue? Because the fundamental one of the fundamental issues of Sri Lankan economy that led to this crisis is lack of taxes. And we have increased taxes, increased tax rates, and got new people to pay tax. Because of that, we managed to increase tax revenue uh, substantially, but not enough. Then comes increasing this further, which is difficult. And which sometimes also will take further painful policy changes. We see there was something called SVAT. Uh, which government initially wants to change the mechanism and then they uh, reversed it. And then also government need to build capacity and increase capacity significantly to increase the tax revenue. IMF is particularly concerned that Sri Lanka hasn't done enough on that. And Sri Lanka actually hasn't done enough because Sri Lankan government hasn't been very serious about significantly increasing the tax revenue. Our tax collection is very low compared to other countries. And if, if we cannot go on like this as a low, low tax collection, as you have to get more businesses to pay tax, more rich people to pay tax, and have a investigation, have, you know, sort of a different investigation branch at uh, in the Navy Department to check people who are not paying tax and do all that. That institutional capacity building, institutional changes, or the or that efforts hasn't been put in. That's, a, that's the biggest concerns IMF has raised because you can't do this, you're actually in big trouble. So government will have to show that, okay, we are quite serious about uh, further increasing the tax revenue and bridge the budget deficit. Right. So also now uh, we spoke about, the, we said like in a democratic country with, elect, uh, with uh, economic reforms, there comes also political reforms and changes. So we also see the role of um, uh, the parliament as a place where parliament is also considered to be a place where that has to bring in democracy and 
towards to push this country towards economic reforms. So do you think part of the democratic process is also to have things like elections on time and we have not been having elections, the whole reason behind it has been there's no funds, there's no uh, allocated funds for this. So what is your take on this? So in this whole process, we also have to do the things that have to be done. I mean, I, I really don't uh, buy the government's argument that they don't have funds to have an election. It's just 10 billion. 10 billion may look like a big number to you and me or, or even to a company, but for Sri Lankan government, it's peanuts. Uh, Sri Lankan government's total budget would be more than four, you know, 3,000, 4,000 billion. And out of that 10 billion, it's nothing, right? You can cut back on certain things and, uh, uh, or even have a little bit of more deficit, collect even more taxes and have the elections because that's what you're supposed to have in, an, uh, in a democracy. So playing this argument of you, know, you can't have an election uh, because you don't have funds, I think that's a very dodgy way to avoid having elections. I understand people would have political reasons, but uh, uh, as far as economy is concerned, uh, 10 billion is not a not big amount of money and that shouldn't be a concern to hold elections. The government can definitely have elections. I mean, there may have been quite difficulties uh, way back because there were import restrictions, no, no dollars to import certain things and had electricity issues. Now most of things are much more stabilized, so there's no reason uh, as to further delay uh, or ignore. I, I don't, so whether we like it or not, I think uh, some, some would say that elections, when there's elections, that has a significant impact on the public finance policies, because, uh, mind you, but this is not a general election, this is a, a local government election that was supposed to happen. Uh, but in, in ge generally in a general election you would expect during an election you will see an increase of expenditure and you will also see uh, politically beneficial public finance policies comes into play. But I think it's time for us to move away from that cycle. The way I think it should happen is people understanding that this very short-term promises of government increasing spending or reducing taxes isn't going to do enough. So uh, this came up with our, in our conversation that the foreign creditors, the debt payment for foreign creditors, we, have, we haven't still started repaying and we, haven't, we still don't have a plan for it. But we have also been very fast and very quick to do the domestic debt restructure. So why do you think that was given more prominent and was expedited? Um, this is like a, I will come to the big picture, but for the simple answer to your question is because it's easier. You are negotiating, you are negotiating with what you call the superannuation funds, which is the funds like EPF, ETF, or you have something called University Provident Fund, which we as lecturers pay, so, and different other companies. Domestic, easier to negotiate. Also, so this particular, what they call a domestic debt optimization, they did not expect to give a haircut, which means they did not expect a nominal reduction of debt in the case of uh, 
with foreign creditors, particularly with what you call the international sovereign bondholders, we expect them to give us a haircut. That is to say, if our debt is 1000 million to them, we expect them to reduce that to 800, 700, depending on what they are willing to do. But we are definitely expecting them to reduce that amount. That wasn't the case with uh, superannuation or for the EPF, ETF, etc. Domestic creditor easier to negotiate. But the the interesting uh, point here is why would why did Sri Lanka need this? Uh, largely because uh, we IMF has categorized Sri Lanka Sri Lanka's debt as unsustainable, which means difficult to pay or impossible to pay without any trouble. Now this is assessed through three major criteria. One is your debt to GDP ratio how much your debt stock as the total goods produced in the economy in that year. Then how much you are paying uh, to your foreign creditors each year as a percentage of GDP, which is, uh, which should be around 4.5% of the GDP, what you are paying as foreign, to the foreign creditor. Then there is another thing called gross financing needs, which means how much money you need altogether domestic, foreign, everything to repay the loans, not only the interest but also to repay the loans. For example, let's say I have, sorry, for example, let's say that there's a treasury bond maturing in 2026, government need to pay 1000 million to few banks in Sri Lanka and then the government borrowing requirement then will go up because you have to pay 1000 million, right? That's not interest. That's like you have borrowed, you pay this thousand million, you could issue another thousand million and repay this, right? But still that thousand million you have to find somewhere. Either you have to issue a new debt, we have to increase taxes or get it. Now GFN says, GFN refers to this total amount you need to manage all the debt for the year, roll over debt and the pay interest, everything. Now that amount, that is that is the GFN, you know, the, the total money required to manage all the debt per year, that, that's around somewhere around 35% of the GDP right now and that has to come down around 13.5 in a few years time. So that's a significant reduction. Some, reduc some part of this reduction, uh, reduction of course now we know comes from reducing foreign creditors repayments, you know, the debt restructuring that we referred to. So that wasn't enough. So that means we need to find some different avenues to further reduce this and meet the target, meet the GFN target. That's the only reason we needed a domestic debt optimization. So what did we do? We got uh, superannuation funds, including EPF, because EPF is a larger superannuation fund, uh, to restructure not to reduce the amount that the EPF is supposed to get, but to delay certain payments to the EPF. For example, EPF has, a, has bought a treasury bond that is maturing in 2025. Let's say it's a, it's a 500 million bond. Government said, okay, we cannot pay you this in 2026 itself. Instead, we will pay you this in 2032. Up until then, we will pay you interest. So how does government benefits? They don't have to get an additional 500 million in 2026. 
they postponed it to 2032. By doing that, they are reducing the GFN. So that's that's the need of it. So uh, that's why the EPF bond portfolio. I know this is a bit of a technical term, but what EPF so what government offers the EPF was restructured because the government simply can postpone the repayment. EPF gets the interest interest for that. Uh, so it, it helps to reduce the this what you call the GFN criteria. Thereby, we can claim that our debts are sustainable. The problem with this is central bank is the one is the institution that heavily involves in the debt restructuring. They are the ones who propose this, propose to do a, what you call a domestic debt optimization, and they are the same institutions that holds the control of the EPF. So there's a clear conflict of interest. So therefore, there's a real need to address this you know central bank that is currently the institution that manages the public debt on behalf of the government they issue treasury bills treasury bonds and them also holding responsible for epf means and look here i am obtaining loans so i am also managing a fund and also i have the access to that fund details also so it's like me balancing everything which is Conflict of interest, which is also which is a really bad way, bad for the public finance. So therefore, uh, it needs to change. And even IMF has acknowledged that IMF has clearly put, uh, clearly recommended to take the EPF ETF control away from the central bank, uh, so that there's uh, there will be a different institution or governing board handling that. So how does this gonna go? Is I think a very important discussion that needs to. Happen, including how the trade unions need to be represented, how the workers should be represented, how the accountability of such a new governing board and uh, should be managed. So it's a whole different discussion to have. Right. I think we had a very fruitful discussion, and we were able to unpack a lot of uh, very technical. Sub it's a very. It sounds may sound like a technical subject, but uh, I think Umesh did very good justice to it by unpacking it in a very simple way and in a way that we all could understand. So I think I really like the analogy that uh, Umesh brought in saying that it's how it, as a patient, a dying patient uh, now trying to recover and with the doctor's advice. So I hope this patient no, now, now the now, now the now, you know, the, now the patient is forgetting the fact that patient was a patient. <laughs> this is still a patient. Right, and there's a long way to go. If, if somebody asks, what's the outlook of the economy? Is it's still not really out of the woods. We are yet to raise enough taxes. If we don't raise enough taxes, we could again potentially go down another default. It's the next couple of years or three years. It's to fix the economy. It's you can't expect high economic growth rate. You can't expect hey, let's import vehicles again. For me, that sounds ridiculous because. You need more discipline now. Do not spend money on unnecessary things. I mean, like government and also people both. Uh, and then also collect enough and more taxes and raise more and more taxes. People, are, people, some people are. Should I pay more taxes? Yes. You, if you don't pay taxes, you know your consequences is going back to the fuel queues or the gas queues, all of that. Yes, that has to have an accountability. That's where accountability, transparency, and again, in a democracy, what you could demand for you, you should demand in next election, I pay taxes, where's my accountability? 
rather than say reduce my taxes, okay, no accountability also. I don't think that's as the way. So the outlook is, it's going to be tough because you, you will see more taxes, you will see now the inflation is coming down, all that, but uh, that's, that stability will continue only if other economic reforms are properly carried out, such as continuous increase of taxation, uh, sufficient investment in health and education, uh, and increasing FDI, uh, other, other reforms such as uh, smoothening the trade processes, etc., so that there's more e exports and investment coming in. So that's where we are at. Yes, so, yeah, so as Umesh said, it's a long journey, it's a long way to go. Uh, there's no quick fix to this problem. So, as he mentioned, we as citizens, we also have a responsibility towards holding uh, our can uh, elected candidates accountable in various things, even things like uh, public finance, to have transparency, accountability. So, there is a part as citizens, all of us are called to do. So, I guess all of you who are watching and listening to this will take back something from this, not just to sit back and watch what's happening, but also to be part of, um, to be citizens who partake in all of these roles where wherever we could get involved, wherever citizens could take an action, would take the prompt action so that we, in this process, we will get somewhere in few years, not right now, but I, we have some hope that down the line somewhere we will get back, uh, we'll get into shape in a few more years to come. So having that in mind, having that hope, let's uh, end our session today. Uh, we want to thank Umesh once again for joining us. Uh, despite your busy schedule, you make time to come and speak to us and to keep our citizens informed. Uh, so thank you, Umesh, for joining us. And thank you, all of you, for joining us. And so. Keep uh, watching, keep um, uh, subscribing, and be tuned to our channel, uh, tuned to hashtag podcast series. We'll have many more trending topics as this, where we will be discussing in the future. Thank you.